Welcome to the show where we unearth new ways of looking at ever-evolving life around the world, seen from a number of different industries, cultures, and backgrounds. But there's one thing that unites everyone I speak to. They all want to do their part to make the world better in their own unique ways. It's a uniting passion. Whether they're from the commercial world, third sector, or public sector, from the global north or the global south, my name is Philippa White, and welcome to Thai Unearthed. Hello, and welcome to episode 45 of Thai Unearthed. Today, we have my old friend David Webster with us, and we're going to be talking about the power of human-centric organizations. Now, David was born in Milan, Italy, and started his career in advertising in London in 2001, which is where we work together at Leo Burnett. He's been living in Singapore since 2008, where he eventually led BBH as APAC MD and worked with brands such as Nike, Netflix, and Uber. But with a desire to change outdated working practices in the advertising industry and pioneer new, more sustainable ways of working, he co-founded the Carrot Collective in 2020, which is a global decentralized creative company that has been leading the development of new remote working practices focused on organizational culture and life-work balance. Today we talk about why it's so important to build one's life around one's lifestyle and not the other way around. We talk about why this is good for business and how easy it is for companies to start implementing more human-centric work practices. It's such a great chat where we draw on our own personal experiences of the power of this way of thinking and working. And I'm certain you'll see why this is the future of business. So sit back, relax, grab that favorite beverage, and here's David. David, it is so wonderful to have you with us today. How are you? It's amazing. Super cool and super nice to see you again after so long. I know. We were just reminiscing that we were account execs at Leo Burnett London in 2002. <laughs> yeah, I know. Please don't remind me. It reminds me of being old. <laughs> and, the, and the beauty of how there was such a beautiful group of people there that we worked with who are now doing such extraordinary things. You, yeah, well, we'll bring you to life in a sec, but it's just amazing how we've all sort of gone from there and we're all still in touch in, in some Absolutely. ways and connected and it's wonderful. In different so, parts of the world. <laughs> I know. So to that point, tell us, where are you sitting right now? Right. So now, currently I'm in Singapore. Okay. Uh, and I say currently because I just got back from uh, spending a bit of time in Italy. Uh, yeah, I'm back here. I've been based here for 14 years now. Wow. Now it's dark. Uh, we're, I'm in Brazil for our listeners, as you probably know. It's about to be nine o'clock in the morning, my time. It's pitch black where David is. So what time is it? It's almost 8 p.m. over here. God, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Tell our listeners about you. You are also an international kid. Absolutely. And I think it probably helps explain how you've even started doing what you're doing now, having such an international background. But so we can put all of this into perspective. Tell us about you. Yeah, I mean, uh, third culture kid is probably the best way to describe myself, not to, to put a label in it, but... Uh, you know, I grew up, was born in Italy, Italian mother, English dad, spent 10 years in London, uh, been in Singapore for 14 years, spent a lot of time, uh, well, all my school career at an international school in Italy as well. So uh, my wife's joke is that I don't really speak any language properly because I don't have the Italian vocabulary anymore. 
and I speak with a very strong foreign accent. So yeah, it puts me in an interesting position. <laughs> and your wife's Singaporean? My wife is Singaporean, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. If, if people ask you where you are from, what's your response? I know it's an interesting one. You know, I often get asked the question, especially sort of where's home, you know. You know, where I'm from, I consider myself very Italian. I, I was brought up there. I grew up there. That's where sort of my first few years were. But, you know, where is home is a really, really yeah. a challenging one because Singapore is absolutely home. But likewise, you know, I was saying I was in Italy until a few weeks ago and it very much felt like I was home when I was in Milan. So, you know, I guess where home is where I am in that moment of time with the people you know, I love and around me, really. Yeah, totally. I couldn't agree more. And it's funny because, like you, you don't look particularly Singaporean. And yep, so and when, yeah. <laughs> when, when people do sort of say, so where, you know, where is home? Where, I mean, it's not really. In, in Portuguese, people say, like, where are you from? And I, I also, yeah. it's really hard for me to answer that, but Brazil 100% is home without question but you know i'm Absolutely. six foot one uh kind of blonde um i i, I don't <laughs> you know and particularly in the northeast which is definitely in the south it's a little bit more german so i probably yeah. could maybe pass as a german brazilian maybe but here i definitely am like a few feet taller than most people and yeah and look and i, th I think it's, it's really interesting concept you know, it's great to start from there because actually you know that's a really really important thing you know for me has always been which is uh, how, is, how important is actually geography for to define who we are and where we are from? And, uh, you know, and actually more and more, you know, you know, people ask me, you know, so David, where, where are you based and where are you from and where do you work and uh, where's your company based? And I go, why does it matter? You know, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> and oh, it, really? I think it's increasingly more insignificant. And I, I think agree. the last few years, you know, you know, I've really sort of brought that to light. Totally. And I think just which really fits with your values and your mission and what you're doing, which we'll get to now. But I think home is where your heart is, where the people are that are close to you, where you feel happy, where you feel at home, where you feel good, where you feel like you're able to be you. And that can be anywhere. And you Absolutely. can be where that place is doing amazing things. And that could be in the jungle somewhere. It could be, you know. So talk 100%. to us about, exactly. So talk to us about the Carrot Collective because it's so exciting. Um, yeah, for right. sure. For sure. Look, I mean, I said, you're absolutely right. I spent 20 years or the best part of 20 years and there's the age thing again uh, in advertising. And I love it. Look, it's an industry I genuinely, I know it's not always the most popular thing to say, but which I genuinely loved and grew to love again. You know, and I'll explain because that's really important to sort of the story and why and how we got to where we are today, which, you know, spent 20 years, lots I started in, in London with you about the same time, yeah. actually, we started, uh, eventually moved to Singapore, you know, eventually, you know, went up the career and was always after, you know, the next promotion, uh, worked with the most fabulous people at BBH, uh, eventually, you know, was sort of running the office here as MD. And then I kind of started... Uh, falling out of love with the industry. And in 2020, I decided to, almost exactly two years ago to the day, I decided to leave BBH, to leave the industry actually. Uh, and I, I went to an esports startup and I really dabbled in tech. I always was sort of, was always a space which fascinated me. And what happened was I very quickly started seeing things that I wasn't seeing when I was in the industry. So this idea is stepping back from it I could start seeing not only the things that, uh, 
you know, uh, I loved about it and I was missing about it, this phenomenal creative energy. But I was also seeing uh, a lot of the problems that, that led me to leave the industry in a new light and really starting having almost this 30,000 view on the industry going, maybe, maybe there is a way to change things for the better. Maybe there is a different way of doing things now that I'm not in the weeds, now that I'm not really in it. And that's really what started the impetus to go, well, do I go back into the industry, into a big agency and try to drive change from there? Or actually, do I start with a blank canvas and from the bottom up, start rebuilding a new way of, of doing things? And really, you know, it sounds lofty and ambitious, but of reinventing a 40-year-old industry across very different parameters, not on the surface, but really go deep into the basement and the foundations and see if we can rebuild something from the ground up. And that was really sort of what, what got us to start the Carrot Collective. And so just in the name, is that, how did you come up with the name, the Carrot Collective? I'm just <laughs> curious if, if that sort of, from the ground up, in the ground, yeah. that, is that sort of no, thinking? No but, no, but I will use that story because every time people come up with amazing stories why the carrot collector, so I'll add that to the list. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, it sounded very fitting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, the truth be told, we were looking for a name and one of my co-founder, Paolo, uh, Brazilian, by the way. Oh, yes, so, Paolo's yeah, very absolutely. Brazilian. Paolo Felizbino, I'll just say yeah. hello. Hi, uh, hi, Paolo. Oh, Awesome, 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 amazing human beings I've had the uh, privilege to, to meet in Singapore, actually. <laughs> you know, he just came back to me with the list of names after a boozy night at a home he had with some friends. He was telling them what we were doing. Carrot was one of the names. We both, actually it was a name and a logo. It was a design logo. We fell in love with how it looked and how it sounded. And we just wanted something that captured the spirit of uh, openness, of community, of, uh, I guess, distribution. You know, we, we don't want to be pigeonholed for where we are today, but yeah. actually this sense of community coming together. And that's where Collective nice. came about. Um, nice. And the fact that Carrot, as a word, was impossible to trademark or to register <laughs> a, a website for. And so th that's why Z also came in, because Carrot Collective <laughs> also was taken. So that's the truth of why we are where we are. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Full transparency. Full transparency. <laughs> Let's talk to us about the Carrot Collective and talk to us about yeah. maybe what it is first so that our listeners mm -hmm. can just sort of understand why you made that move and, and why you felt it was sure. important to start working in the way that you work. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, funda uh, fundamentally, you know, uh, we are um, we, we're a creative agency. We are a creative company. You know, uh, that's what we are. That's how, you know, that's ultimately what we deliver. We deliver creative services for brands as our end customer. I think the most interesting thing and in foundation of what's most different is, is is how we operate and, and how we sort of uh, uh, retooled the agency model. And that's really based on two principles, which are distributed workforce and decentralized decentralization. And what that simply means is we don't have any offices by design from day one. We don't have uh, any uh, bias towards where our talent is based. And uh, we basically build the business around three core disciplines being uh, culture, talent, and operations. So very human-centered disciplines that help us build a better uh, distributed workforce, as opposed to building the agency around departments, uh, creative and account management, et cetera. And, and, and again, it sounds uh, perhaps overly simplistic, but what it does uh, 
it uh, really changes the way that we think about uh, the business. We think about, you know, who is our uh, customer? That was the first question we asked ourselves when we started the Carrot Collective. You know, who is our customer? And actually, our customer is our employees and our collaborators. That's it. That, those are the people that we are serving. So with this sort of trifecta of operations, talent, and culture, we are serving our employees and our collaborators and our partners better. In turn, that means that we have happier people working with us. We have people who are more content with where they are, who work on their own terms, who get rewarded based on what they value most in life. And that makes them better at doing what they do. And in turn serves the brands we work with and the clients we work with. And that's really where I talk about retooling from the ground up. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's interesting. One of our advisors is a gentleman called Simon Anholt. Uh, so he, anyway, he's also a BBHer, which is interesting, but he talks a lot about diversity and, and the power of creativity based on diversity. And it, it's interesting because he said, you know, we are defined by our background. So it's race, ethnicity, culture, customs, our exposure to life growing up. Mm-hmm. And if you're wanting to solve a problem, any kind of challenge, if the same people are all together solving that problem, it's obviously not going to be as easy to solve it as if you bring a whole lot of different minds from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different races and different cultures, because whatever that challenge is, of course, people will come at it from a completely different point of view. And that creates more creative thinking, that creates more innovation, that helps be better. And I Absolutely. thought that's such a great way of actually looking at the power. It's just, a, it's just more competitive to be more diverse and have people from different backgrounds. And I think what you're talking about is so interesting because you're kind of blowing up that model of, you know, hiring people only from, and of course, if you're in a big center, it's a lot easier. So, you know, in London, there's almost no excuse for not having really diverse teams because there's a whole lot of people yeah. in that center. Um, but if you are based kind of anywhere and you're able to create a network like what you're creating and have some of the best people from literally anywhere, that's so competitive. Yeah, and, and look, and I think you know, what, what's interesting really is, and again, I think this is very important, even where in terms of where the world is going, but more importantly, what people want, right? And I think that for me is really key to, this, to the concept of uh, you, you know, human-centeredness, human-centeredness, uh, in organizational design, in organizational culture design, which is, you know, what do people want? Where do people want to be? And does that in any way have impact on how we run our business or on how they can do their job? So, um, you know, we always joke around that actually the only prerequisite is that you have a functioning internet connection. Beyond that, where you are, irrelevant. Totally. What language you speak, might sometimes have relevance, sometimes not, depending on uh, the kind of role you're playing within the project. Your background, race, et cetera, mostly irrelevant in most cases. And so suddenly what this does, it almost removes bias or at least any excuse for having bias. Ooh, I can't get a hold of them. Oh, they're not here. And, and, and that's what's really, really interesting because you're almost, uh, you run out of excuses. Why? Why wouldn't you have a diverse team? Why wouldn't you find people based on their capabilities, based on their attitudes, based on their beliefs? 
why wouldn't you? Uh, and that becomes really, really interesting and exciting. So, David, you did a TED Talk recently. I'd like you to bring that to life for people. And I'm curious to know what trends, and you've talked, you've obviously touched on them already, but, you know, what brought you to do that TED Talk? Yeah, for sure. Look, I mean, the, the anchoring thought of the TED Talk was, I mean, the broader subject, which I'm personally interested in, uh, and which, you know, we very much sort of uh, play a part, hopefully, uh, with, with the Carrot Collective, is this idea of uh, uh, human-centric organizational culture design. You know, sort of how do we start building organizational cultures that are based around people and not places, you know? Uh, uh, that's very, very important. And, and, you know, just an anecdote on that, uh, just to give, I mean, the context, uh, when we say based on people, not places, uh, you know, one of the most biggest driving forces of organizational culture I'd say in the in the 2000s, in the last 20 years, uh, has been sort of uh, the Silicon Valley model. How do you build offices that more and more resemble like uh, homes that provide you with uh, food, with uh, uh, daycare facilities, with schooling facilities, etc.? How do we create an environment that employees don't want to leave? You know, and that's a big force to drive organizational culture. What we are saying now is uh, that we are at the next stage, and that next stage is driven by people. It's driven by people's needs. It's driven by people's values and belief systems and not by physical location or geographic location. Uh, so that really is sort of the bigger context for the talk. And in particular, for those, again, who will listen or who have listened to it, is uh, this concept of uh, life-work balance. The principle of life-work balance is very, very simple, which is, uh, you know, how do we create the right conditions in organizations for people to ensure that work it's built around one's life and not the other way around, right? Uh, and therefore, principles of remote working become very important. Principles of uh, not only gender diversity, but actually when it comes to, uh, you know, the motherhood penalty, for example. You know, there's some phenomenal data that actually shows that in many countries, not all, of course, and this particular example is from Denmark, where... Women who don't have children, the pay differential with men is very, very, very minimal. When after a woman has a child, takes time off and comes back to work, that pay differential goes from three to five percent to over twenty percent. Right. That's um, and so you start you start realizing actually that maybe the problem is not gender discrimination. Actually, the problem is that. Uh, you know, what I call in overly simplistic terms, uh, out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. The fact that you are not there present in that office, the fact that you haven't been given the conditions to perform to your capabilities from elsewhere because you're looking after, and as a mother, you will know this, after kids. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't do your job because you've got two kids at home. It just <laughs> means that you need to do it differently on your own terms. Yeah. And I think, you know, and so the whole point around this idea of life-work balance and the idea of the TED Talk is really that, you know, if we are able to start addressing some of those root causes of the issue, I think we will solve a lot bigger problems that today, you know, we are sort of trying to cure the symptoms as opposed yeah. to the root cause of. Totally. And I just, I know so many extraordinary women who... It's just, it's a, it's a downward spiral, unfortunately, having children for many people, and it shouldn't be. They, they have to step out of the workforce, so then they don't feel as valued. Uh, they are 
phenomenal individuals who are so unbelievably capable and some of the most intelligent people I know, but because of the system, they haven't been able to, you know, they haven't been able to juggle it. Then their self-worth, I, you know, the conversations I have with some people and I think it's just extraordinary. How is it that you're even questioning? It's like, you just, you're amazing. And then you think of what companies are missing out on. And I think of what I've managed to do it's not like I'm superhuman, but I have managed to have two children. I've managed to run my own business. I've managed to do all of that. It's just, I've had to do that flexibly and with an internet connection. And that's maybe two internet connections because I live in Brazil <laughs> and some of them, as we know from earlier, stop working sometimes. But as long as you are flexible, and I think that's the thing, because then that brings back to what you were talking about earlier, having people who are happy and feel comfortable in their own skin and are able to realize what they want to do on their own terms and feel like people see them for the worth that they have to offer and are doing everything that they can to make it all possible. You will get so much out of those individuals. You just absolutely, you know, and also operating, you know, I think related to that is uh, what it does. It helps people and makes people operate from a perspective of, from a, from a, um, a position of strength. Yes. You know, it helps make sure people are keep building on what they're strongest at. Make yes. sure people are, and then it's proven. I mean, it's not, I'm not making it up here, you know. Organizations like Gallup run tests specifically to identify people's strengths because it's proven that you work better, you are happier, you're more productive. One of our old mentors and founders, you know, uh, Nigel Bogle, Always yeah. used to talk about this, you know, when he talks about the founding of BBH. Paraphrasing him was, uh, you know, if I had to work on my weaknesses, I would never have uh, risen to where I did. But by surrounding myself with people like John Bartle and John Hegarty and being so complementary to each other, yes. that you're operated from a position of strength and created this phenomenal organization. How does that, thinking about that at scale, is very exciting and super interesting. So exciting and so interesting. I think this plays into this thought as well. You know, I, I studied business. Actually, I didn't love the business school, but it was a very competitive one in Canada. You know, it's the best business school in Canada. And, and, uh, and at one point, I found myself in a classroom where everybody was chanting, the main goal of business is to make money. Oh and I, and I, I, you know, I was, I don't know, how old was I? I was probably, what, 19, I guess, however old you are in, in, in university. So I, I had zero work experience. I was an international kid like you. So I certainly had a perspective, perhaps, that was a little bit different to people who had, you know, only grown up in one place. So maybe there's a bit more empathy. My family also did not come from the business world. They were all from what I call the helping people industries. So there was a lot of passion. There was a lot of purpose there was a lot of real desire to challenge a system and make it better. And so when I was looking around, I didn't know how to explain my feeling of not, you know, of slight disgust to that. But I did look around thinking, this is so crazy. And then obviously, you know, life has moved on and I do what I do. And, but, it, you know, I posted about this and you commented, you were one of the first people to comment on it. I touched on the importance of, you know, questioning. Well, surely it's not just about making money. Surely there's other things too, like purpose or shared value or, you know, employees. So you, you commented on this as well. And I just was curious to know, because I know that this 
is very important to you too. And I, and I know that you have strong opinions on it. So can you talk to our listeners about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's interesting, right? Because uh, um, I absolutely believe that there is nothing wrong with companies and organizations making money. The point for me is that that is absolutely not uh, A, the sole purpose of a business, but more importantly, I don't think profit per se is the, the objective. It's not the end goal. It's a consequence, right, of uh, doing something different. And therefore, you know, you have phenomenal, phenomenally successful organizations who are doing a lot of good and are making a lot of money. And that's okay. You know, we shouldn't be ashamed of putting the two things together. Profit and purpose should absolutely go hand in hand. And it's quite interesting because what it reminded me is that, you know, a few things, you know, um, uh, this almost uh, duality of things, this balance is really important. You know, we, as an ex-BBH, you'll know good and nice. Yes, good and nice. Yeah. You know, totally. uh, there is, it's, the two things are not uh, polar opposite. It's not a zero-sum game here, you yeah. know. Uh, but also, I was reading an article actually this morning from um, the Harvard Business Review about how to be both an effective leader and a good human. Okay, Which nice. I thought was fascinating, you know, and I just like, stumbled upon it by absolute chance. And I thought, yeah. you know what, this really resonates with me because it comes back to the broader piece, you know. Yes. Uh, you know, what Unilever is going through at the moment with their stakeholders for taking an actual stance on purpose and social responsibility, et cetera. And, you know, the broader topic of, uh, you know, conscious organization, uh, which is a broad, an even bigger topic, you know, we, we can touch upon, is really interesting. The fact that people like Jamie Dimon, of all people, I mean, the CEO and chairman of JP Morgan, actually started talking about, uh, you know, and I'll quote him because uh, this has stayed with me for since, since he said this a couple of years ago, actually, you know, that uh, major employers are investing in their workers and communities because they know it is the only way to be successful over the long term. I mean, this is the CEO of one of the biggest investment banks in the world. I, I just find it so, not even short-termist, but actually slightly ignorant and disillusioned to actually think, and disrespectful actually towards uh, basic human intelligence, to think that, uh, well, what's the purpose of money, <laughs> you know, uh, if not to fulfill one's needs and desires, etc. So it can't be the purpose and it's all right, right? Yeah. Uh, that's at least, you know, and, and I'm, you know, we can go on about this for a long time because I'm, I'm hugely passionate about it, mostly because, as I said, I don't see why the two things can't coexist uh, yeah. and why they shouldn't. It's interesting. I, I did a podcast, <clears throat> my last podcast actually was with <clears throat> uh, John Alexander, and uh, he also used to be an ad person, ad man at Fallon, I think. But anyway, he's set up the new citizenship project and he's launching mm -hmm. his book called Citizens. And his belief, which I agree with, is for the world to go in the direction that it needs to go in, we actually need to see customers as citizens, as in they're not customers, they are part of a, a community, a part of a, a greater whole. And employees should also be seen as citizens. They are part of a, a, a community that you are creating. And you, can only, you, you have to do that together. And if you change that dynamic and change that language, and you see people as citizens, you know, you're in it together. 
that changes the whole dynamic. And I think it's interesting when I look at Thai, right? So we worked in one way, the pandemic hit, we had to completely change the way that we work in order to survive. And a lot of people say, oh my God, that was incredible. That was, you know, unbelievable. And I'm like, well, not really. I had to, because if I didn't, it wouldn't have worked out. So one of the things is necessity is the mother of invention. But also I have such a, like, it's a part of me. It's actually older than my children. So it is what my first child and you need, like, it needs to succeed. So there's that purpose and there's that sort of belief within, I've, you know, created something, I'm part of it, it has to work. And if you have those two uh, dynamics, one necessity, you feel the need for something to happen, you've bought into that, so you need it. And then you've got that purpose, it's part of your soul, and you've got that desire, it just will work out. If you can create that dynamic with your staff to have that purpose and feel that necessity within that dynamic, however you've created that, then you will have a band of people within your company who want to see things succeed. And if they, that's, that's just how things work. So if you, and, and that's, you know, to your point, just about profit and that being the only objective, that's the only objective for who? That's the only objective for the owners of the company. So if people feel that that's all they're working towards, obviously they're not going to be bought into it. Absolutely. And there's something interesting on that, actually, because, and that's where, you know, you asked me a question earlier, which I'm not sure I actually directly answered, because uh, then we got uh, one of something else, which was, you know, one of the things that really sort of uh, inspired me or led to sort of where we are today, the TED Talk and where we're the yeah. company. And actually, that links to something you just said, which is uh, uh, to the big purpose and profit and making sure, you know, this idea of citizenship, which I really love. I haven't had a chance to listen to that episode yet, but I will. Uh, and uh, and this is actually, for me, one of the big influence was uh, actually what's happening with uh, decentralization and blockchain technology. And let me explain why. Back in 2018, I did a course with MIT on this space. And that's when I started writing uh, a paper uh, as part of this course, which was, uh, you know, how can decentralization help uh, and blockchain help redistribute value across uh, a talent ecosystem, uh, you know, specifically in the context of creative agencies. And so for me, when I start looking at uh, principles of, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations in the context of blockchain, for example, Actually, when you dig really deep, what this does, this is technology that enables a lot of the things we're talking about, that ensures, that, that, that facilitates the creation of organizations where stakeholders, and by stakeholders, I mean employees and customers, et cetera, truly feel part of something bigger, not only in, uh, uh, in words, but actually in facts. You know, uh, the fact that People are owners of something bigger. People have a vested interest. And I've always been a believer that vested interest matters. And people have a vested interest in the success of something that they believe in. This idea of cause-related organizations, you know, are fascinating, you know. And I think that's an area which uh, I think sometimes is a little bit overlooked simply because, A, it is, you know, overcomplicated by the press often. uh, And it's seen as this big myth. But actually, when you look at the principles of some of the technologies out there, you know, it's phenomenal what they are enabling us to do, uh, uh, you know, and I, and I would strongly urge anyone to really look into it a little bit deeper because it's That's fascinating. Interesting. Yeah, really interesting. So we are coming to the end of the podcast, but I do have a couple of questions for you. One, do you have any 
stories or any companies that you feel are doing this other than the Carrot Collective? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there's the, the obvious one, you know. Admire, uh, that was the word I was looking for, admire. Yeah, I mean, look, there were a couple of, you know, sort of the more maybe obvious names, uh, you know, people like Patagonia, for example, I think is always a fascinating case study. You know, we're actually, we're starting our B Corp certification process now, right. uh, uh, which is fascinating. It's a lot of work, but hopefully uh, that's my big goal for 2022 uh, to do that. And then Patagonia, therefore, is one of the examples, simply because, uh, uh, you know, I'm speaking to people who work there, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a human organization. You know, it's an organization that puts uh, humanity over efficiency. You know, that's something we didn't really talk a lot about, but uh, it's an important principle. You know, we t- for years we've talked about we need to be more efficient. We need to do more with less. Well, why? <laughs> Who said that's the better way of doing things? Uh, you know, uh, um, and I think Patagonia is a great example. Uh, the other example, are, and there aren't, by the way, many companies that truly believe this. I think often it's a post-rationalization to try and uh, uh, fit in, if you want. I think Patagonia truly comes from the right place. I honestly was, uh, and I'll say this uh, in the most genuine way, I'm, I'm hugely impressed, mainly because I've worked with them for many years, uh, with really the stance Unilever has taken. Uh, I'm phenomenally impressed because it's not easy for an organization of that size. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's kudos to the senior management and the leadership of the company that is sticking by their guns. And yeah. I hope they keep sticking by their guns in that. Yeah. You know, and then recently, actually, someone you might know, I don't know if you know, Aude uh, Gandon, uh, ex Leo Burnett, uh, uh, London, actually, who's now the CMO of Nestle. Oh, and, I don't know. You know She's, you know, having some uh, great initiatives, at least, uh, towards this direction, really advocating for, you know, greater sustainability, greater human centricity uh, in what Nestle will be doing in the future. So I do think, you know, that it's a a movement that's not going to stop for one reason, and it goes back to our purpose and profit, because it's proven over and over again that companies driven by purposeful means uh, actually do better. I make more money, make more profit. And, you know, and, and that's ultimately the holy grail. And until we really get to that, you know, I don't think things will ever change at scale. Yeah. But I see that happening at least. Takeaways. Are there any takeaways that you can leave our listeners with? Yeah, I mean, look, th- th- there's so, so, so much uh, uh, in the space to talk about. And I'd love to tell people about. I mean, look, for me, the most important thing is actually, you know, quite foundational. Going back to the really the first thing, you know, I mentioned uh, at the beginning, which is uh, there has never, I genuinely believe there has never been a better time in the last 50, 60, 70 years to actually drive the kind of change m- many want to see. Right. I think we are in this very unique moment in time with full respect with everything that's been going on and the tragedy that the last two years have been for many. But it's a unique moment in time where real, real change can happen. And, you know, and there's lots of people out there with lots of ideas and lots of things they want to do. My only urge, what I was fortunate you know, to have the people around me to support me in doing that, just give it a go because... Yeah. Honestly, there has never, honest, never been a better time to succeed. Jump before you're ready and just go for it and then follow. Absolutely. Follow the, absolutely. Yeah, that's you nice. know, and do it now because it's, it's an incredible times we're living yeah. in. I really do believe that. Now, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to tell our listeners? 
Oh, God, there's so many things <laughs> we can talk about. No, I mean, look, as I said, there's lots I'd love to talk more about, you know. Uh, I love Legos, for example, and we can have a conversation for the next two hours about Legos. You do. No, I forgot that I, about you. I, I'm a secret art. <laughs> I'm, I'm a secret architect at heart that just didn't like school enough to become an architect. So I still build Legos to my. You'll wife, be happy uh, to despair. know. We have you come into our house, and we had a wooden. We've got a, a dark wooden table with a little lip, so it's a little centimeter higher lip, and it's our Lego Lego table. And we, nice. you come in and it's just a whole, and anyone, adults or children, whoever come in and they just start building. Everyone okay. should have a Lego table in their home. That's the one yeah. takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been so great to connect with you. It's, it's been a really long time, but we do see each other on social media and I love Absolutely. seeing the things that you're up to. I wish you so much you know, just positive energy and success with the Carrot Collective. Thank you. Super exciting times. And, yeah. and you know, and likewise, thank you for having me on here. It's uh, super, super fun to catch up again after so long. Yeah. Until next time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. This is Philippa again. I hope you enjoyed listening. Now, this is your chance to get involved with Thai. If you work in the commercial world, whatever your profession, your position, or your experience, then Thai could be for you. You may have been in business for decades, but have always felt there's another way. Or you may just have a few years experience, but want to do more. Equally, if you want to create game-changing employees and see your company impact the world, we've got you covered. Thai has never been more necessary than right now, and you can be a part of it. Reach out to me at philippa at theinternationalexchange.co.uk and I can tell you more. Or join the Thai Accelerator info session for more information, apply.tieaccelerator.com. Better leaders, better companies, better world. I'm your host, Philippa White. This podcast has been co-produced by Berna Vieira and me, music by Berna Vieira, and artwork by Kelps Fahais. I hope we'll meet again soon. <laughs>